0: قال تعالى في كتابه الكريم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله صطفى آدم ونوح وآل إبراهيم وآل عمران على العالمين ذرية بعضها من بعض والله سميع عليم صدق الله العلي العظيم صلوا على محمد وآل محمد. الله Assalamu alaykum dear brothers and sisters wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. The verse that I began with is from Surah Ali Imran, ayah number 33 and 34. Where Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala says, "Inna Allahu astafa Adama wa nuhan. There are certain personalities in history that have been chosen by Allah to be moral exemplars for humanity, to be spiritual guides. And in addition to individuals who have been chosen, Allah in this ayah tells us that there are certain families that have been chosen. In Allah Adam Wanuhan. وَآلَ إِبْرَاهِيمًا وَآلَ عِمْرَانَ عَلَى العالمين. That we have chosen certain families, certain bloodlines, who will serve as the representatives of God on earth, who will be the spiritual guides and mentors of humanity. ذُرِّيَّةً بَعْضُهَا مِنْ بَعْضٍ They are from one another, they are connected biologically to one another. Tonight is our second lecture on the series Life of the Messenger. Now, in order for us to understand who Muhammad ibn Abdullah is we have to understand the family that he comes from. So, tonight I want to spend some time speaking about the noble ancestors of the Prophet, the family tree. Because to understand who someone is, you have to have an idea of where they lived, when they lived, and the family that they hail from. In Nahjul Balagha, Amir al Mu'mineen, Salawatullah, Alayhi, Lama Salaam Muhammad, and Wali Muhammad. Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib, in Najjul Balagha, in Sermon 214, he speaks about the purity and the nobility of the Prophet's ancestral line. The Imam alayhi salam, he says, I bear witness. Who's speaking? Ali ibn Abi Talib is speaking. I bear witness that Muhammad is his servant, meaning the servant of God, and his messenger. And he is the best, the master of all of God's servants. There is no one above him. The Imam, السلام, he says, from the time of Adam, people had children, one generation after the other. Whenever Allah divided the line of descent, when the branching took place, he put him, meaning the Prophet, in the better one. Meaning if you look at the Prophet's fathers, grandfathers, great-grandfathers, his mother, grandmother, great-grandmother, there is no one who has a more noble family line than the Holy Prophet. The Imam says whenever Allah divided the line, He made sure that Rasulullah would come from the more noble ancestors. Now, when you look at the history of prophets, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has sent, according to some ahadith, 124,000 prophets sent at different times to different communities, speaking different languages. We also have some narrations that say there are a handful of prophets who are Arab, who are Arabs. For example, Prophet Hud, Nabi Hud, who who was sent to the community of Ad. He was an Arab, an ancient Arab. Nabi Saleh who was sent to Thamud, he was an Arab. So we have this misconception that the Arabs are from the descendants of Ismail, and there were no Arabs before Ismail. This is incorrect. Hud was an Arabian prophet. Salih was an Arabian prophet. Shu'ayb, Shu'ayb, who was living during the time of Musa, he was an Arab. He was the father-in-law of Musa. He was an Arabian prophet. And undoubtedly the most noble of all of the Arabian prophets and all prophets is Muhammad ibn Abdullah. So the Holy Prophet is Arabi. He's an Arab. Now in order to understand the Prophet's ancestors, we have to understand some of the basics of the history of the Arabs because the Prophet's ancestors will play an important role in his life. So if you look at the Arabs, historians have divided the Arabs into two major groups, two broad categories. The first is Al-Arab Al-Ba'idah. Al-Arab Al-Ba'idah means the extinct Arabs. These are the Arabs of Ad, the people of Ad, who, Nabi Hud was sent to. They were destroyed. They don't exist anymore. The people of Thamud, Ad Thamud, these ancient Arabian civilizations, they are known as Al Arab Al Ba'id, the extinct Arabs, because they don't exist today. Allah mentions them in the Quran, He sent prophets to them, they rebelled, and they were punished for their rebelliousness and their iniquities. So they were wiped out. They're extinct. So these are, this is the first group, Al Arabul Ba'idah, the extinct Arabs. And then naturally, the second group is what? Al Arabul Baqiya. The remaining Arabs. It seems that there may have been some from these communities who survived. Maybe a one or two of them, and they continued to procreate. So you have al-`Arabul Baqiya, the remaining Arabs. These remaining Arabs, and I want you to follow this, and I'll go very slow so we can understand this, and you'll see when we speak about the life of the Prophet, why it's important to know these facts about the Arabs. So the remaining Arabs, we can divide them into two subgroups. You have Al-Arab al ariba the pure Arabs, and then you have Al-Arab al mustariba the arabicized Arabs. Now what does this mean? So you have the extinct Arabs. They don't exist anymore. They were destroyed. Their civilizations are mentioned in the Quran. They're gone. Then you have al-'Arab the remaining Arabs. And we said they are two groups from among the remaining ones. al-'Arab The pure Arabs. And then you have Al-Arab Al-Musta'riba, who were Arabicized, meaning they acquired and they learned Arabic. Now what does this mean? Al-Arab Al-Ariba, the pure Arabs are known as Qahpani Arabs. Any Arab today, you are either Qahpani, meaning you're pure, the original Arab, or you are Adnani. Adnani Arabs are the arab Arabs. al Mustarib. Now, Al-Arab al the pure Arabs, they're known as Qahtani. Qahtan قحطان was a person who lived, we don't know exactly when he lived, but he lived between the time of Nuh and Ibrahim, somewhere in that time. And he had a son named Ya'rub, which is why some say this language is called Arabi, and these are the Arab. Kahtan has the son, Ya'rub, and they say he's probably a survivor. His descendants are from those extinct Arabs. He happened to survive, his ancestors. So these are the Qahtani Arabs, the pure Arabs who lived before the time of Ibrahim. And then you have the arab Arabs, al arabul al known as the Adnani Arabs. Now, who are the Adnani Arabs? Because Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi, sallu ala Muhammad wa The Prophet Rasulullah is Adnani. He's an Adnani Arab. He's an Arab besides Arab. Why? Who is Adnan? In the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us about Ibrahim. There are many ayat in the Quran that speak about Ibrahim. And Ibrahim salam traveled very much. When Ibrahim alayhi salam was blessed with his first son from Hajar, He received revelation to take Hajar and Ismail from Palestine to Mecca. And do what with them? Take them and drop them off. Allah in the Quran, in Surah Ibrahim, Ayah 37, Allah mentions this incident. This is the du'a of Ibrahim after he leaves Hajar and his newborn Ismail in the middle of a barren desert in Mecca. You see, brothers and sisters, listen to this. That, oh my Lord, I am leaving a part of my progeny in this barren land without any vegetation near your sacred house. Now, why did Ibrahim do this? Because Ibrahim knows that many generations later, the Holy Prophet will emerge. So it's as though Ibrahim is planting the seed for the nubuwa of Rasulullah by putting Ismail in Mecca from now. So what happens? Hajar and Ismail, they grow up in Mecca. What happens is there is a tribe by the name of Jurhum who are from the descendants of Qahtan, those pure Arabs. Ismail, when he grows up, he ends up marrying a woman from the tribe of Jurhum who is from the descendants of Qahtan. Ibrahim, was he an Arab? He wasn't an Arab. But he marries a woman who is Qahtani from the tribe of Jurhum. So Ismail's children gradually do what? They learn the Arabic language. This is why the sixth descendant of Ismail is Adnan. And this is why the Arabs who come from Adnan, they come from this line. Meaning, they learned Arabic because of the marriage of Ismail to that woman from the tribe of Jurhum. So they are Al-Arabul Musta'riba, they're Adnani Arabs. So Rasulullah is from the line of Ismail. Ismail was not an Arab. He married a woman from the tribe of Jurhum who was Qahtani, and they became Arabized. Now, as Anirul Al-Mumineen mentioned at the beginning of my khutbah, I said that the Imam mentions that Rasulullah comes from the most noble lineage, the most noble ancestors. There's a hadith by Shaykh Al-Mufid. Shaykh Al-Mufid is one of our prominent scholars of the past. He has a book called Amal Al-Mufid some of the students of shaykh al-mufid they would sit with him and they would write the ahadith that he would share with them they would dictate he would dictate to them what to record what to write and this hadith is also mentioned in sahih muslim the hadith is from the prophet what is he saying inna allah <laughs> astafa min wuldi ibrahim isma'il that Allah chose from the sons of Ibrahim, Isma'il. And from the children of Isma'il, Allah chose Kinana, a man who's from the children of Isma'il, and this is the great-great-great-great-great-grandfather of Rasulullah, Kinana his name is. Wastafa min kinana Quraysh? Kinana had a son or a grandson, and he was given the title Quraysh. Quraysh literally means a little shark. Meaning, you know, there are some people they're easily taken advantage of, but not this line. Meaning the prophets' ancestors, they're not naive people where you come and you play games with them. They were called Quraysh, which means little shark, which means they cannot be eaten by others. They cannot be conquered. They, they're not naive, they're sharp. Wastafa min beni hashin. From Quraysh, Allah chose Bani Hashim. And tonight we'll speak about who this Hashim is. And then the Prophet says, Wastafani min Bani Hashim. And Allah chose me from Bani Hashim. Now you may ask me, why, are, why am I giving a lecture about the Prophet's noble family? What's the point? Why don't we fast forward? to the birth of Rasulullah. You have to understand, brothers and sisters, that this is the design of Allah, to ensure that the Prophet comes from the most noble people. Why? Because in Arabia, your status depends on the family that you come from. Your nobility depends on who your father is who your grandfather is what tribe you come from this is why when the prophets when when the arabs would fight in battle what do they do before they fight they introduce themselves that i am fulan son of fulan son of fulan so allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted to ensure that there is he doesn't give the arabs any reason to discredit him So he comes from the purest family. Furthermore, as a proof of this, when Rasulullah began his mission and he challenged the status quo in Mecca, the Quraysh, they started to attack him. They called him Majnoon, insane. They called him Sahir. They called him many names. But they never said that he comes from a low family. They slandered him and attacked him in every way, but they could never say that he doesn't come from a good family. He comes from the most pure of families. In fact, we, the followers of Ahlul Bayt, <laughs> we believe that all of the Prophet's ancestors, his fathers, grandfathers, great-grandfathers, mothers, great-grandmothers, all the way to Adam, all of them are muwahideen. They are pure. They are monotheist. Not only that, al alam Al-Majlisi, who's one of our prominent ulama, who's the author of Bihar Al-Anwar, what does he say? Allah al Majlis says not only are they monotheists and believers, min that they were the most truthful of people, the most honorable, ima al Majlis says all of the prophets' ancestors until Adam, they're either. Prophets or they are infallible successors of prophets. And then he says, Walla Allah Now you may ask, you know, if you look at Abdul Manaf, all of the prophets, some of them, they never they don't they don't seem like they're prophets. They never said that we're prophets or were usiah, they never invited people towards tawheed. Allah Majlis says he says. وَلَعَلَّ بَعْضُهُمْ لَمْ يُظْهِرَ الْإِسْلَامِ لِتَقِيَّةٍ أو لِمَصْلَحَةٍ دِينِيَّةٍ علام المجلس, he says some of the Prophet's ancestors, maybe they didn't invite people towards Tawheed and they didn't publicize their religious beliefs because of Taqiyya. Maybe there was a danger if they did because everyone is Mushrik and perhaps there was a maslaha, there was, there was something good, there was a benefit in them concealing it. Now, if you look at the Prophet's tree, he is what? If you look at the tree connecting him to Ismail, he is Muhammad <laughs> He is Muhammad, son of Abdullah, son of Abdul Mutalib, son of Hashim, son of Abdul Manaf, son of Qusay, son of Kilab, son of Murrah, the son of Kaab, the son of Luay, the son of Ghalib, the son of Fihr, the son of Malik, the son of Nabr, who was given the title Quraysh the son of Kinana, the son of Adnan, we said Adnani Arab, the son of Isma'il. Allam al-Majlisi says all of them, they are either Anbiya or they're Ausiya. Now, why do we take this position? Because if you go, Sunni Islam tells you they're Mushrikeen. Rasulullah's father is mushrik, majority opinion among Ahlul Sunnah is Abdullah is kafir, amina kafira, And you go all the way up the line, Rasulullah is from a line of kuffar. Abu Talib, of course, because he's the father of Ali ibn Abi Talib, he has to pay the penalty for that. There's a hadith from the Prophet where he says, لَمْ يَزَلْ يَنْقُلْنِ اللَّهُ مِنْ أَصْلَابِ الطَّاهِرِينَ إِلَىٰ أَرْحَامِ الْمُطَهَرَاتِ Allah continually transferred me from the loins of the pure ones to the wombs of the purified ones حَتَّىٰ أَخْرَجَنِي فِي عَالَنِكُمْ Until I came to this world, وَلَمْ يُدَنِّسْنِي بِدَنَسِ الْجَاهْلِيَّةِ The Prophet says, Allah never polluted me with the stain of ignorance. If any of the Prophet's ancestors were kuffar or mushrikeen, it would mean that he would have been touched with that impurity. Because what does the Quran say in Surah At-Tawbah verse 28? إِنَّمَا الْمُشْرِكُونَ نَجَسِ That the polytheists are impure. Rasulullah says, the loins and the wombs that I came from, they are all pure. So we understand that they were not mushrikeen. There's a hadith from Imam al-Baqir and Imam al-Sadr, صلى الله عليهم, <laughs> where they say, لَمْ يَزَلْ يُنْقَلْ They're speaking about their grandfather, the Prophet. لَمْ يَزَلْ يُنْقَلْ من صلب This is why Alam al majlisi believes this. Imam al-Baqir, Imam al-Sadiq, he says, the Holy Prophet was continuously transferred from the loins of Prophets, from Prophet to Prophet. وَلَا يَجِبُ أَن يَكُونُوا أَنْبِيَاء مبعوثين. Imam al-Baqir, Imam al-Sadiq, he says it's not necessary for prophets to be sent to people. There are some prophets, they're prophets for themselves. They're not given the duty to go and guide a specific group of people. (laughs) There are some prophets who are prophets for themselves, or they're prophets for their families. This is their responsibility. Meaning Allah has not put the obligation of guiding an entire nation on their shoulders. Imam al-Baqir, Imam al-Sadiq, they're saying that many of them could have been prophets for their own families. Now, when you look at the Qur'an, there is another piece of evidence because when you have discussions with other schools, they'll tell you that Rasulullah's ancestors are kufa, they're mushrikeen. There's an ayah in the Quran, and this is the beauty of the madhab of Ahlul Bayt, that all of the beliefs can be traced back to the Quran. Ibrahim and Ismail, when they built the Ka'bah, they made a du'a. And we know that the du'as of prophets are answered, they're mustajab. What does Ibrahim and Ismail pray for? وَجْعَلْنَا مُسْلِمَيْنِ لَكْ O oh Allah, make us Muslims, make us submissive to you. وَمِن ذُرِّيَتِنَا أُمَّةً مُسْلِمَةً لك They ask Allah, make from our progeny a nation that is Muslim. And then Allah in Surah 43 verse 28, وَجْعَلَهَا كَلِمَةً بَاقِيَةً فِي Meaning this Tawheed, Allah made it continue in the line of Ibrahim. Which means if there is a gap, and there is even a small period of time where there is no descendant of Ibrahim that is a monotheist, that means Allah didn't answer their dua. Meaning there has to be someone who's carrying the legacy of Ibrahim until the time of the Prophet. There cannot be any gap. And Ibrahim, again in the Qur'an, in Surah Ibrahim, ayah number 4, رَبِّ جَعَلْنِي مُقِيمَ الصَّلَاةِ وَمِنْ ذُرِّيَّةِ O Allah, make me establish the prayer and my progeny. Meaning, from Ibrahim until the time of the Prophet, there has to be someone from the line of Ibrahim that is establishing the prayer. Now, why is it that other schools within Islam have this belief that the Prophet's ancestors are kufar. The reason why is they say when you look at the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah At-Tawbah verse 114 mentions Ibrahim speaking to his father, Azar, and he is called an enemy of god allah says wama kana istighfaru ibrahim li abi ibrahim was intending on making istighfar for his father azar an maw'idat wa'adah iya falamma tabayyana lahu annahu aduwlan li annahu aduwun lillah it became clear to ibrahim that Azar, his father, was an enemy of God. Tabarra amin. Ibrahim denounced him. In Ibrahim They say, look, Ibrahim is a prophet, a messenger. His father is called lillah and therefore, it's not necessary for prophets to have fathers who are believers. You see the argument. So, what is the answer? The answer is that Azar is not the biological father of Ibrahim. Tariq, according to historians and traditions, is the father of Ibrahim. Azar is who? He's the uncle of Ibrahim. And in the Arabic language, you can use the word Ab to refer to uncle. The word Walid refers to only the biological father. And even in the Quran, in Surah Al Baqarah, verse 133, when Nabi Ya'qub was on his deathbed, he gathered all of his sons. Am kuntum shuhada Ya'qub al Were you there when Ya'qub was on his deathbed? Ith qalali banihi ma in ba'di. When he said to his sons, what will you worship after me? Ya'qub has 11, he has many sons, more than 10 sons. What is his main concern? ما تعبدون من Badi, What are you going to worship after me? He's worried about their deen. You know, when you have 10, 11, 12 sons, most of us will be worried. How are you going to make it financially after me? Yaqub is more worried about their deen than their dunya. Because Yaqub knows that Allah is the provider. He says, Ma ta'buduna min ba'di. He asks them a question. What do they say? So this ayah proves that the word ab can also be used for uncle. So these are the children of Yaqub, who is the son of Ishaq, who is the son of Ibrahim. They say, قالوا نعبدوا الهكا wa ilaha aba'ik we will worship your lord and the lord of your aba the plural of ab your fathers ibrahim is his their great grandfather wa isma'il wa isma'il is their great uncle but they use the word ab to refer to Ismail. And therefore, we, the school of ahlul Bayt we say when Ibrahim was speaking to his father, Azar, it was not his biological father, it was his uncle. Now, why is it that the forefathers of the Holy Prophet are considered kuffar in mainstream Sunni Islam? This is because of the influence of Bani Umayyah. If I am an Umayyid khalif, in order for me to raise my position in the eyes of the people, my ancestors are kuffar. So to bring Rasulullah down to my level, I have to take away this fadheelah from him. I have to take away this honor from him and say my, my forefathers were kuffar and so were the forefathers of Rasulullah. They do this to equalize the playing field in the eyes of the people. Now I want to share with you a little bit of information on two of the ancestors of the Prophet. And in our next lecture we'll speak about Abdul Muttalib. So the Prophet His father is Abdullah. And the Prophet's grandfather is who? Abdul Muttalib. And the Prophet's great-grandfather is who? Hashim. And the Prophet's great-great-grandfather is who? Manaf, And the one who's above him, his father is? Qusay. I want to start with Qusay. And then I'll speak about Hashim, and then we'll go to Abdul Muttalib. And it's, we, the only way you can appreciate the biography of the Prophet is that you know who these people are. So qusay is the great-great-grandfather of the Prophet. He actually rebuilt the Kaaba. You know, throughout history, the Kaaba gets destroyed, rebuilt, destroyed, rebuilt. It was rebuilt by Ibrahim. It was built by Adam, rebuilt by other prophets, rebuilt by Ibrahim destroyed, rebuilt. Qusay, the great-great-grandfather of the Prophet, rebuilt the Kaaba and he's the first one to put a roof on it. Because before it seems that it would rain and it would cause flood damage. So he built a roof on the Kaaba. Qusay also did something very unique. He established what is called Dar al Nadwa. Dar Nadwa is basically an assembly room near Safa facing the Kaaba. So, this is basically an ancient parliament that was established by Qusay to allow people to come and voice their opinions. You see, some of these democratic ideas this idea of giving people a voice was instituted and established by the prophet's forefathers people if they have complaints if they have grievances they would come to Darun nadwa and they would have a public forum during the time of Qusay, there was no zamzam water because it had been buried so Qusay. Introduce this idea to the Quraysh that people are coming to Mecca for Hajj from all around the peninsula. They are our guests and we should show them hospitality. So he's the first one that introduced the idea of giving free food and water to the Hijjaj. Because there was no Zamzam, he would delegate the responsibilities to the Quraysh. You go and bring water for the Hijjaj. You go and bring food. He assigned responsibilities to the people. He had keys to the Kaaba that he gave to certain people. So he was managing the affairs of Mecca. And he introduced this idea of showing hospitality to the Hijjaj. This is the Prophet's forefathers. Now, so this is Qusay, a very noble man. So we skipped al Manaf and let's talk about Hashim. You know, Bani Hashim, Rasulullah is from Bani Hashim. So just to tell you, so Hashim is the great grandfather of the Prophet. So the Prophet, his father is Abdullah. I want you to get used to these names. The Prophet's father is Abdullah. Who's the Prophet's grandfather? Abdul Muttalib. Abdul Muttalib's father is Hashim. So this is the great grandfather of the Prophet. We know him as Hashim. But Hashim wasn't his name. His name was Amr. And the word Hashim was a title given to him. What does Hashim mean? وَإِنَّمَا سُمِّيَ لِهَشَمِهِ الْثَرِيدِ لِلْحِجَاجِ Hashim means the breaker of bread. He was a very wealthy man and I'll explain where he got his wealth from. When the Hajjaj used to come, he, with his own wealth, he used to feed all of the Hajjaj. He was the breaker of bread because Hashemah means to grind. He would make bread and he would pour stew on the bread and he would give out free food to the Hajjaj. This is the family of the Prophet. They are Qurama, the most generous of people. Now, before Hashem became wealthy, Hashem, the great grandfather of the Prophet is in Mecca. And Mecca, is it Hawaii or is it a desert? It's a desert, right? It's not not a place where, you know, there's trees and running water. It's very difficult to live. It's a desert. And it would become even worse when there is a famine and a drought. So Arabia, Mecca, the surrounding areas, they would get hit with a drought, with famine and people started to die people became so desperate and so hopeless that they would dig graves outside of their homes because they're expecting to die soon. Just so they don't burden their families with digging the grave. They say, let's dig the grave now, so when we die of starvation, they just throw us in the hole. So Hashem, he saw the poverty in Mecca, and he says that I have to do something. And he came up with a genius idea. He says that people around the region are coming to us. They're coming for the pilgrimage, for the Hajj. Why don't we open up a market and we sell merchandise that they need? We have the customers, they're already coming. So what does he do? He establishes the two Annual trading expeditions. رحلت الشتاء والصيف He organizes and builds the infrastructure for the trading expedition in the summer to Syria and the trading expedition in the winter time to Yemen. Why Yemen and why Syria? Because when he went to Syria Hashim recognized that in Syria, we can get Persian goods and Roman goods. Some of the best silk came from Persia. You know in the Quran, it mentions istabraq, as Allah uses it to describe the clothes of the people of Jannah. Istabraq is a word that has Persian roots. And the reason why the Arabs knew about the silk of the Persians is because of this Rahlat as by Hashim. And then in Yemen, Hashim recognized that in Yemen, because of the location of Yemen, we can bring merchandise from Africa and from India, the Indian spices and all of the goods from Africa. So these two trading routes, Allah mentions it in the Qur'an, لِإِلَافِ قُرَيْشِ إِلَافِهِمْ رَحْلَةَ الشِّتَاءِ وَالصَّيْفِ رَحْلَةَ الشِّتَاءِ وَالصَّيْفِ was was instituted by who? Hashim, the great grandfather of the Prophet. So Hashim actually saved the Arab. He saved Quraysh from starvation. And he became one of the wealthiest men in Arabia. Can you imagine how much wealth you have to have that you feed? You alone, one person feeds all of the hijjaj and you become known as Hashim, the breaker of bread. So he became extremely wealthy. What happens when you become wealthy? You get a lot of haters, right? When you have money, what happens? The eyes start to look at you with jealousy. Hashim had a brother by the name of Abdishems, who had a son or he had an adopted son by the name of Umayyah. Abdashams. That's why Abu Sufyan, when Uthman becomes the Khalifa, what does he say? <laughs> Abdeshams becomes jealous of the wealth of Hashim. Umayyah, his adopted son or his son, also becomes jealous of his uncle. And this is where the animosity between Bani Hashim and Bani Umayyah began. You think it was with Rasulullah? You think it was Karbala? It goes back to Hashim and Abdeshems Shams and his adopted son, or his son Umayyah. And we'll conclude here, Inshallah we'll continue on our next session. Hashim had many wives. One of his wives was from Yathrib, which is the ancient name for the city of Medina. And subhanAllah, brothers and sisters, When you look at the way that Allah plans, (coughs) Rasulullah's great-grandmother is from Medina. When the Arabs try to assassinate Rasulullah in Mecca, where does he go? He goes to the home of his great-grandmother. Rasulullah was a distant relative of many of the people of Medina. So you see Allah's plan planting the seeds of Mawadda and Mahabda in the hearts of the people of Yathrib. So, a couple of generations later, when Rasulullah goes on Hijrah, his Hijrah is from Mecca to Yathrib. So Hashim marries this woman from Yathrib. They have a child by the name of Shayba, which is the actual name of Abdul Muttalib. Now, the question is why did he become Abdul Muttalib? We'll answer that inshallah in our next session. Wa sallallahu alayhi wa wa sallam wa